So last week, uh, we looked at the manna. We looked at uh, God bringing them through that wilderness, testing them to see if they would listen to His Word, showing them that, look, I'm bringing you into a place that has nothing to sustain you. They got out of Egypt by nothing but the power of God. They were there for 400 years. If they could have gotten themselves out on their own, they would have in that 400 years. Remember, that's the increment of 40, that perfect test. And so, after 400 years, they still couldn't get themselves out. Only by the power of God and only through the blood of a Passover lamb were they made free, which is a picture of us. There's no way that we can get ourselves out of the bondage to sin, Satan, and death, but through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the blood of our Passover lamb who died for us. And then they get into the, 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 the wilderness, and once again, there's nothing there to sustain them. There's no bread. There's no water. God brought them into the desert on purpose to show them that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In other words, if they follow God, if they take heed to His word, He will provide for them. And there was no way they could get themselves across that desert on their own into the promised land. They began by the power of God and they would finish by the power of God. You see, to show us that salvation from start to finish is all by God's grace in his work and not ours. Okay, we can't start it. We can't finish it. Some people say, well... We, we, we start off by trusting Christ as our Savior, and then we've got to keep living good enough, doing good enough, and all these things. Uh, and we've got to keep ourselves saved. And we can no more keep ourselves saved than they could supply bread from the sky and water from that rock. And so now we're moving on into the next phase. I told you last week that we were going to be at Mount Sinai today where God told Moses when he first met with Moses in that burning bush, he says, you will be back here at the same place worshiping me with the people of Israel. And now here they are today. And so um, let's, in fact, let's do this. Let's turn to chapter 19 first. Uh, we're going to be in verse in chapter 20, but let's go ahead and look here in uh, chapter uh, 19 first, please. If you'll look with me in uh, verse, uh, look with me in verse 9. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee, and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes and be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. So here's what's happened. Here's the back story to this. God told Moses, If these people will follow my word, my law, 
then I'm going to make a great nation out of them. They're going to be a, a nation like no other nation. I'm going to bless them and all these things. The people said, oh, we'll do that. We'll follow his law. So God says, okay, here's what you do, Moses. Have them get washed, dressed, clean, and ready. Because on the third day, I am going to descend down upon Mount Sinai in a thick cloud. And the people will be able to hear me when I speak and give my commandments to them. Man, everyone's ready. This is exciting. We're going to hear God's voice. He's going to tell us what He wants us to do. This is going to be wonderful. All right? Let's go ahead and look here now in verse 12. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves, that ye go not up into the mount, or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall surely be put to death. There shall not an hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through, whether it be beast or man. It shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. Now, it's not quite so exciting, okay? So <laughs> here, we're going to have the mountain here, okay? Let's see here. This is going to represent the mountain, Mount Sinai. And so God says, get ready, get clean, get presentable. And on the third day, I'm going to descend down in a cloud upon this mountain. They won't see me, but they're going to hear me when I speak. But before I do this, there's some preparations you need to make. You need to put borders up around the mountain. So we're going to, let's say, we set some stones up, kind of like we would cones or something, you know. And so they set stones up around the mountain. They set a border around it. Now we've got a border around this mountain. We've got two million people coming up to the mountain. God said, have them come to the mountain, but don't pass that border. If you so much as touch the mountain, you're dead. I'm going to require the people to stone you or shoot you through with a dart or something. You're dead. All right? And so now it's not quite so exciting anymore. So we come up to the mountain to hear God's Word, but we can't come to the mountain. We can't climb up to where God is. In fact, we can't so much as even touch the mountain that God is descending on. There's this boundary, this barrier that separates the people from God. Why? Why is this boundary there? It's to show us that God is a holy God. These people are sinners. They were born in Adam. And unholy people and a holy God, God can't fellowship with unholiness. God can't accept unholy people. And so right off the bat, before God even gives the law, He shows them. No matter what, no matter how clean you wash yourselves, no matter how prepared you are, you can't come to me. You can't come to me. The law that God's about to give can't bring those people to Him. They have to hear it. They have to obey it. But 
there's this border that separates us and God. Do you remember the uh, the dream that Jacob had, the ladder set up on earth and the top reached to heaven? That bridged that gap between God and man. The ladder did. And what the ladder would accomplish, which was Jesus. But right now, we have to understand, no matter how hard we work, no matter how clean we get ourselves, a holy God cannot accept unholy people. People say, well, God's a loving God. You know, He loves everybody and He accepts everybody. He's inclusive. The boundary says God's exclusive. You see? The boundary says otherwise. God is the one with the original border walls, okay? <laughs> I mean, He says, can't come here. The penalty is death if you try. Now that cuts across the grain of modern theological thinking, doesn't it? It says we're all God's children. He accepts us like we are. He's tolerant. No, He's not. So let's go ahead and look here now. Um, Verse 14, uh, Exodus nineteen fourteen, And Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said unto the people, Be ready against the third day, or be ready for the third day. Come not at your wives. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings in a thick cloud upon the mount. Okay, how about that? So now the third day, God comes down, and there's no rainbow up there. No rainbow. The rainbow was a promise that God made that represented the covenant He made with Abraham. The covenant He made with Abraham was based on God's promise that He would perform alone. Remember when He walked between those pieces by Himself? This covenant is not a promise that God made to do alone. This covenant is, if the people obey my law, I'll accept them. So this covenant is not based on what God will do for His people because He loves them. It's based upon what God will do for His people if His people obey what He says. So there's no rainbow. We've got, what do we have here? He says, thunders, lightnings, and a thick cloud. Wow. You can see the, the storm on that mountain. Now, thunder and lightning, what does that do? Does that bring them closer to the border? Oh, no, no, no. We're going to create a little distance here. Don't want near that. So let's put some little lightning bolts up here, okay? Let's go ahead and look here now. And a thick cloud upon the mount, and the voice of the trumpet... That's meaning the voice of God exceeding loud that all the people that was in the camp trembled. What did God's law show us now? Number one, there is division between God and the people. Number two, it brought fear. It brought fear. The law brings fear. God's commandments bring fear. They bring division. Okay? Look here now. Verse 17, And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God. 
And they stood at the nether part of the mount. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. Wow. Now we've got earthquaking and fire and smoke like a furnace billowing and lightning and thunder in the voice of God so loud they could... Ah. Man, these people are scared to death. And not one commandment's even been given yet. Look here now in verse 19. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mount. And the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount. And Moses went up. And the Lord said unto the people, lest they, I'm sorry, and the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. In other words, remind them, don't have them try to come up here and look at me, because they'll die. Verse uh, uh, 22, And let the priests also which come near to the Lord sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. And Moses said unto the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for thou chargest us, saying, Set bounds upon the mount, about the mount, and sanctify it. And the Lord said unto him, Away, get thee down, and thou shalt come up, thou and Aaron, with thee. But let not the priests and the people break through to come up unto the Lord, lest he break forth upon them. So Moses went down unto the people and spake unto them. Verse 20. And God spake all, I'm sorry, chapter 20, verse 1. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. A lot of people, when they look at the Ten Commandments, they think, well, I've kept these Ten Commandments. Well, what we have to understand is the Ten Commandments is the, uh, the, uh, the base it's the foundation of all of God's commands. These Ten Commandments that we're about to look at, every other commandment in the Bible is derived from them. It's the essence of God's righteous will. So, um, if, if you could think of it like this, if God says, uh, you know, if God says, have no other gods before me, then that means you're to put nothing before God, you see? So there's things that you, you deduct from these scriptures, these commands, and we're going to look at that here now. So how many of you all would say that you've never broken the first commandment, thou, sh- thou shalt have no other gods before me? Anyone think they've never broken that one? You would think maybe you haven't? All right. Huh? I can't say that I think that well. I'm trying to say, yes, I have. Okay. All right. Sure, right. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Let's say that, um, let's say that you, uh, it's Sunday morning, 
You need to come to church, listen to God's Word being taught. And you've got company that comes over. They pull up and toot their horn. you got family, friends, whatever. They come over. Said, hey, we thought we was going to come by and visit you. Would you like to go out to the lake with us? Thought we'd watch the football game together. Or have a barbecue. Instead of going to church, you stay home with your friends or your family. Did you just put your friends and family before God? You just had enough put another God before Him. At that moment in time, you know what you did? You just said, God's important, but you are more important than God. I choose to honor you with this time on this day instead of going and honoring God in learning His Word. Barbecue is more important. Family is more important. The lake is more important. The cowboys are more important. Or whoever you're watching or cheering for. At that time, you just put another God before Him. Anytime God says, have no other gods before me, whatever you deem to put before God, that at that time was what you worshipped. The word worship is taken from the root word that means worth. These people are worth my time more than God is. You see who you just worshipped? You see what you just worshipped? They're worthy. You see worthy a lot in the Bible. They're worthy of my time. They're worthy of my service more than God. You just worship. Worship is not bowing down like this. That's not worship. Uh, getting on, on your knees and, and doing all this stuff right here. That's not worship. That's ritual. That's ceremony. Worship is done in here where you esteem God to be a God that you love more than anything else. A God that, that is, is more valuable, more important, more worthy of your time and your loyalty than anything else. That's where worship comes in. It's the heart that does not worship God as it should. So you can say, oh, God's most important. But today I'll do this. God's most important, but I'm going to watch a movie instead of read my Bible today. Have you ever spent, would you say that you spent more time watching TV and scrolling on your phone than you have studying God's Word? Which is more worthy of your time? Everybody's broken this commandment. God began this commandment here. And really all the rest of the commands will flow from this one. Does that make sense? The, the Ten Commandments are basically broken up into two halves. The first half is about our relationship to God. The second half of the Ten Commandments is about our relationship to the people God created, our fellow men. If we love God as we should, the first half of the commandments, then we're going to love the people God loves as we should, the second half of the commandments. Everything flows from here. Have no other gods before God. Let's go ahead and move now to verse 4. 
Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water that under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. So now here we have this next commandment, and that is you don't make any graven image or any likeness of anything that's in heaven, that's on earth, that's in the water under the earth. Now some people read that and they say, oh, well then it's, it's wrong to uh, you know, have a picture of, of, a, uh, of an angel or have a picture of, of Jesus at the, the Last Supper. You know, you may see a picture of Jesus with his disciples last supper. You may see a, a picture of, uh, you know, if I draw uh, an image of a stick figure, a man on a cross, and I teach you about that. Well, I just made an image of something on the earth or in heaven or whatever. I just made an image of that. I just made a likeness of that. And some people say, well, that's sin. If that's sin, then it's also sin to have a photograph of your loved ones in your home, because that's also an image of something in heaven above or in the earth beneath. That's not what God's saying. What God's saying is don't make these things for the purpose of bowing down and serving them. Okay? We know that it's okay to have an image of something in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the water under the earth, because later on, God's going to give them specific commandments concerning building the tabernacle in which he will tell them make graven images for the most holy place two cherubims make uh, make these images and likenesses of these things but they won't be bowing down and serving them so that's the difference it's okay to have an image as long as you're not bowing down and serving it but what does an image do if you make an image of something even an image of what you think would be Jesus, and you worship the image, that image now is becoming a replacement for the person of Christ. The image now becomes something, a subtle uh, false god, and you're now worshiping that. Does anyone in here think they've ever broken this commandment? You have? You have? All right. Very Anyone think they haven't broken the commandment? I wasn't scared to raise your hand now. So he's going to say, I got you. <clears throat> Back in the late 80s, early 90s, there was this huge fad about people wearing angels, little angels. Y'all weren't, you weren't alive then. But they had, I remember the policemen would have a little angel on their uniform, on their, or on the lapel or something. Um, women would have a little angel necklace or a little angel bracelet or a little angel pin somewhere on them. It was such a big deal. Billy Graham even wrote a book about angels uh, because everyone was angel crazy at the time. And I remember asking someone one time, uh, I said, why are you wearing that angel? Well, I'm hoping that it'll bring me good luck. I'm hoping it'll help bring me fortune or whatever. Do you, do you see what those people were doing? That was an idol. They were saying, this little graven image, maybe it will help bless me in my life. Like that little thing that a man made and carved out out of metal. 
that could have just as easily been turned into a can opener. That, that somehow something a man made could give them fortune and protection in life. The policemen wore them on their uniforms for protection. Catholic churches are filled with idols. They walk up to a statue of Mary. Hail Mary, Mother of Jesus, you know, and all this stuff. Or Mother of God, whatever. And uh, they, they even have a crucifix, which is an, an image of what they think Jesus looked like, and He did not look anything like the Catholics have weird images. It's weird. And, you know, little shiny halos over the head and all that stuff, and little... You know, but what happens when they come to a work of a man's hands, a statue, and they come to that statue and they bow down and pray to that statue? That now is standing. They're worshiping a piece of wood or a piece of stone or a piece of metal or probably, due to inflation today, a piece of plastic. Seriously. <laughs> plaster or something, and it's not God. That is wrong to do. Never hang something up in your house that you think is going to give you good luck. Rabbit's foot. Have you all had a lucky rabbit's foot? You put it around your rearview mirror hoping it would bring you good luck. That's an idol. That dead rabbit's appendage has no ability... <laughs> To give you any blessing in life. At that time you're saying. Instead of seeking God for this blessing. I'm going to seek a dead rabbit's foot. Or better than that. Say no I know only God can bless me. But I'll use the foot. Maybe God will use the dead rabbit's foot to bless me. Which isn't true. And so it's still false worship. You see. Because it's not according to God's word. And so there's many ways. To have idols that you worship instead of God. If you, uh, let's say that you, you, you make something, you, you have something, it could even be a sports car, it could even be something you love so much, you spend so much time doting on it, so that it has your affection more than God does, that then becomes an idol to you. You see? Alright, let's move on. Uh, it, God says, don't do this because I'm a jealous God. Is it right for God to be jealous? Sure. There's a difference between jealousy and envy. God doesn't envy anybody, but He is jealous. Uh, Tanya, if some woman were to flirt with your husband, would you be jealous? Yeah. Would she be right to be jealous? Absolutely. If she wasn't jealous and she didn't care, she would not love her husband. She, she would be jealous because the relationship is very valuable in her eyes. And if someone is not jealous in a relationship, they do not value the relationship. God was jealous over the people of Israel because He considered them His spouse, spiritually speaking. He loved them like a wife. The Bible calls the church of Jesus Christ the bride of Christ. So he's jealous over us with that godly, loving, protective jealousy. And that he says, I value this relationship between me and my church. 
I don't want to lose you. Isn't that precious? It, it, it would hurt me if my wife said, oh, I don't care if Richard runs off with someone else. I would think, what? You don't value me, you see? So God's a jealous God in that sense. Now let's go ahead and look here in verse 7. Thou shalt not take the, the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. And we've all ever broken that commandment before. Probably everybody in here. But taking God's name in vain, here's, here's what all that consists of. God's name is holy. God's name is special. It should never be used lightly. It should never be used in a vain or empty way. When we see something, we go, oh my God, that's taking his name in vain. It's wrong. OMG, it's wrong. It's taking his name in vain. To where God's name becomes something we just throw around as a byword. It's disrespectful. Very disrespectful. God, D-A-M-N-E-D. That's taking His name in vain. But let me tell you another way that's taking His name in vain. When we take God's name, and we call ourselves by God's name, and we say, I'm a child of God. But then, even then, having identified ourselves as a child of God, we then do not live according to God's word. We have now taken that name in vain. You people call themselves Christians, and they don't live like Christians. They took God's name in vain, absolutely in a worthless, empty way. And the Bible says God will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Anytime you've claimed to be a Christian, anytime you've claimed to be a follower of God, and you have not followed God according to the name you've identified yourself by, you were taking God's name in vain. And never do that. What does that teach us? It teaches us that we should honor God with our lives. And with our mouth. The words we say should never defame God's name. The actions that we take should never defame God's name. No one should be able to look at us and say, Well, now that's why I wouldn't want to be a Christian. Because look at them right there. Living that way. And that happens all the time. If I don't want to go down there to that church, a bunch of hypocrites down there. Let's go ahead and look here now in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day, Wherefore, or because of this, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So let's look here at this Sabbath day. It may not be what you think. Let's look here at this Sabbath day. The Sabbath day is the seventh day. We see clearly. If you think that today is the Sabbath day, you're wrong. Yesterday was the Sabbath day. Back then, and still uh, in Israel today, they, you know, they use Saturday as the Sabbath. Okay, 
And back then, it was still Saturday being the Sabbath. And so coming to church, Sunday is not the Sabbath day. Someone say, well, uh, I can't cut the grass today. It's it's the Sabbath, you know, when they get out of church, you know. That's not true. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's not the Sabbath day. That was yesterday. And so what do we do? Do we say, well, uh, we can't work on Saturday? What does this mean for them back then? The seventh day, being Saturday, was a day of absolute rest. On the seventh day, they were to remember that God made everything in six days. So on the seventh day, they rested like God did. By resting on the seventh day, they were acknowledging that all of God's creation work was done. Make sense? When the promised Savior came... Something changed. When the promised Savior came, the disciples no longer met on the seventh day. Do you remember when they started meeting? Anyone? Huh? They started meeting on the first day. Does anyone remember why they started meeting on the first day? Because that was the day Jesus rose from the dead. It was Sunday morning that Jesus rose from the dead. And so now, the early church are in meeting on the first day. And even in the scriptures, it spoke of them coming together on the first day. Because the Sabbath day was just like that bread in the uh, Old Testament, the manna that came down. It was a picture of Christ. Now, the church follows the Sabbath commandment, not by worshiping the day, but by worshiping the Savior, the day represented. Now, on the first day of the week, why are we here on the first day of the week? Don't say, well, because it's Sunday. No, that's not why. We're here on the first day of the week because Christians are people, just as they, on the seventh day, remembered that all of God's creation work was done, so they rested in God's rest. So we, on the first day, come together remembering that all of God's redemptive saving work is done. And as God has rested from His work of salvation, we rest in that too. Make sense? Alright. So now, Christ has become our Sabbath. Alright. Real quick, turn to the book of Colossians. Let me find this real quick. I think it's chapter 1, but it's been a while since I've turned there. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, it's in the New Testament. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. Remember God's electric power company. If you find Galatians, the next is Ephesians, 
The next is Philippians. The next is Colossians. God's electric power company. All right. Look in Colossians three verse. I'm sorry, two chapter two verse thirteen. Ready? And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. How many trespasses has God forgiven those who trust in Christ? All of them. Watch this now. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. The handwriting of ordinances means all the laws we broke. He blotted them out and took it out of the way, nailing it to His cross. They're gone. All the, all the accusations of us breaking God's law were nailed to Jesus' cross. Look here now. Verse 15, And having spoiled that has conquered principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat, that is what you eat, or in drink, that is what you drink, or in respect of an holy day, or of the new moons, look here now, or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Alright, so if I was out in the sunshine right now, the sun is shining over here, it hits my body, it's going to cast a shadow, well there's one right there of Chris's body. There's a shadow of Chris's body right there. It looks like Chris, it resembles Chris, but it's not Chris. Go over here. I'm going to stomp on that shadow. That hurt you any? Uh-huh. <laughs> it's not Chris. So the Sabbath day was a shadow of Jesus Christ. Resting on that Sabbath day was a shadow. It was a figure of Christ. But the actual body, the Apostle Paul said, is Christ Himself. So if we rest in Jesus Christ and the work He's done on the cross through His death, burial, and resurrection, we are Honoring the Sabbath. We rest in His rest, remembering that all the work of salvation is done. On the other hand, if having known Christ has come, we say, I'm not going to rest in that. I'm going to rest in the seventh day. Well, you'll have the seventh day rest, but you won't have eternal rest. The thing about the seventh day rest is this. Every Saturday, they had to quit working and rest again. But the next day, they had to start working again. The Sabbath rest never gave them eternal rest. The, the, the shadow couldn't give them true rest. They had to get back to work the next day. But the body, Jesus Christ, gives us rest so we never work again. We are resting in the finished work of Christ on the cross. Make sense? Alright, so this command in the Ten Commandments was a preparatory command, a command that necessitated God's people to rest. We still obey this command today, not by resting in the day, but by resting in the Son of God. Make sense? All right, let's move on now. Uh, Verse 12, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Wow. Wow. Have you all ever disobeyed your parents before? Have you all ever talked disrespectfully to your parents before? Every one of us have. 
When you don't honor your father and mother, that doesn't mean you have to agree with everything they do. That doesn't mean you have to accept their sin. Some fathers and mothers were not good parents. I understand that. But the idea here is this, that God gave us parents to rear us up and put us under their authority. And while we're there, we need to subject to it. And, 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 and then when they get old, we're to take care of them, you know. And, and help help take care of our parents. And so there's this honor that comes with the parents. And, and God says it will it'll help us live long upon the land. Um, which, if people would listen to their parents, generally speaking, they would last a lot longer. I know a few that I went to school with that would be alive, possibly right now, had they listened to their parents. And not gone out drinking and driving. All right, let's go ahead and look here now. Um, Verse 13, thou shalt not kill. So I know I haven't broken that commandment, Brother Richard. Yes, you have. Because life. Jesus said that he came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. So that means life is given in measure. You can have life in the sense of mere existence. You can have life in the sense of ecstatic joy. Some people live life to the fullest. Some people just are starving and skinny and, 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 and just trying to, to keep living and hoping they can find a next meal somewhere. The thing about killing is this. Anytime I deprive somebody of the full, perfect, joyful life that God created them to have, I have then killed them in a measure. I've robbed them of a portion of that life. Make sense? If I... Jeff, right? Yeah. I haven't called your name on a while. So if I were to see Jeff today, and I were to say, Jeff, uh, I, your tie looks way too much like mine. And it does look a lot like mine. And uh, But I, I think mine's much shinier and yours is dull, and, and probably, that's probably not a brand name tie anyway. And uh, I don't like your tie. Well, Jeff is probably not going to say, well, what a blessing that Brother Richard would tell me that. Yeah? It's going to, it could hurt his feelings. It could be an insult that he would leave and go next door and think, should I even stick around and hear this guy preach? And it would trouble him in his heart. If I troubled that man wrongfully, did I just deprive him of the, the, the life of joy that God... Yes. The Bible says, Jesus said, if you hate your brother without a cause, you've broken this commandment. Because in your heart, do we care what people think about us? In our pride, we may say, I don't care what people think about me, but we do. That's how come on Facebook, we always say, look at me, look at me, you know. And here we are, we're out eating together. We have the wonderful marriage and wonderful life. Celebrate us. We do care what people think about us. We definitely do. And I don't want someone thinking wrong about me. Man, if someone thought, um, like if, if I'm in Walmart or something, uh, if I have an item in my hand, I'd do my best to make sure that it, people on camera, anyone watching me, they can see that item in my hand. They know I haven't slipped it in my pocket. I care what they think about me. And if I knew that one of y'all thought I may have shoplifted something from Walmart. If I thought one of y'all for a moment thought that I have done somebody wrong, I would want to correct that in your head. 
And you would want to correct that in my head because you don't want me thinking that about you. So killing someone is not just being mean to them, not just taking their life away, but it's thinking wrongly about someone in your mind. Okay? Let's look here. There's, uh, uh, verse 14, Thou shalt not commit adultery. If you look at another man or another woman, and you lust after that person in your heart, you were just unfaithful to your spouse. I don't want... And you don't want your spouse to be thinking and daydreaming about anyone but you. Isn't it great to think that your husband or wife is crazy about you? And that you satisfy all of their needs and their desires and, and they're just head over heels in love with you? Everyone wants that. And to think that they're thinking, Ah, I remember that girl back in high school. Well, I sure wish I'd have wound up with her. Boy, she sure was. wonder what she's doing today, man. And you start daydreaming. But you're committing adultery in your heart. You see? That's breaking that command. Look here now. You see how we've gotten into, away from our relationship with God, or relationship with people? Look here now uh, in verse 15. Thou shalt not steal. You take something that doesn't belong to you, you've stolen. There was a man in high school one time. They were going to take quotes. If anyone had a quote, then uh, they were going to put it in the yearbook. Well, I came up with this quote that I heard from someplace. I don't know. But it was a good quote. It's supposed to have been, you tell a quote that you've heard someone say that was important to you. It didn't supposed to be an original quote. So I came up with something that I heard someone say that was important to me. And I thought, this is unique. Well, a friend of mine said, hey, Richard. He said, what's your quote going to be? I said, I've got a good one. I said, I heard someone say one time, I felt sorry that I had no shoes until I met a man with no feet. He goes, that's a good one. Do you know what he did? He used my quote. (laughs) That's stealing. If someone does work and you take credit for it, that's stealing. You go put in, you claim eight hours at work and you work seven, it's stealing. Thou shalt not steal. Let's move on here. We've got to hurry up. Verse 16, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Don't lie. Never bear false witness. Your neighbor is owed the truth. Don't lie to them. It's against your neighbor because you got to tell somebody something. You got if you're lying, you're lying to somebody. So don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Don't testify against them wrongly in court. Don't lie to them. Uh, don't lie about them. Uh, Next, verse 17, Thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. What is coveting? Coveting is saying, you know, hey, uh, look at that loaf of bread over there. Tell you what, why should Gwen have that loaf of bread? You know, what has Gwen ever done for me? You know, I've been better to Jonathan than Gwen has. I should have that loaf. What am I doing? I'm coveting her loaf of bread. 
Why is it wrong to covet her loaf of bread? Because for me to desire that loaf of bread and me want that loaf of bread for myself, in order for me, now the people online are going to be wanting to see this loaf of bread. For me to have this loaf of bread is for her to no longer have it. Coveting is two sins in one. Number one, it's a form of stealing in your heart. It's a form of, I should be, I should see her with this loaf of bread and I should celebrate the fact that God's been good and blessed her with this loaf of bread. But when I look at this loaf of bread and instead of celebrating that she has it, I wish I had it instead of her, that is wrong. That's not rejoicing in God blessing her. That's wanting me to not want her to have that blessing. It's selfishness. Covetousness is wrong. Covetousness is saying, God, I am not satisfied with what you've given me. The Bible says, with food and raiment, be content. You got food in your belly? You got a shirt on your back? Be happy for it. And trust God for the rest of it to supply your needs. You say, well, all we need a house. What house did John the Baptist live in out there in the wilderness? You know, a shack or a cave or something, you know. Uh, but, uh, you know, we really don't need much in life. And we need to be content with what we have. And if someone gets a new car, if someone graduates with a, with a degree, if someone gets a promotion at work, hey, Praise God. God gave them that. And God's got something else for me. And I'll be content with what God has for me. Instead of getting upset about it, you know what I can always do? I go make my own bread. Right? Instead of want what somebody else has. People who want to live off the work of other people, they're covetous. People who say, I just want my check to come in. And I'll, I'll take my benefits or whatever. Well, I don't want to benefit... By looking at what someone else has and saying, those people need to give to me. And there's a whole world full of folks like that. So, look here now, if you would, and we'll finish. We've got to hurry, hurry, hurry. And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise, the trumpet and the mountain smoking. When the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. What did the commandments do? Did they bring them close to God? No. They magnified the, 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 the difference between the holy God and the holy man. God willing, we'll start here next week and look at the, media, the mediation uh, ministry of Moses.